This is left, right, and center with my guests today. Jeff Schlemmer on the left, Bob Metz on the right, more or less. Both of them and me more or less in the center. Glad to have you both here this week. Missed you last week, Jeffrey. Oh, thank you. I'm sorry I couldn't make it. Well, we had a bit of a... Bob and I had a bit of a dust-up last week. It was kind of fun. It was fun, yeah. It was kind of fun. Price-fixing. Yeah. Today, I'd like to... Uh, I'd like to... Uh, ask you to address an issue and i'm not uh, i'm not trying to polarize this in left or right because uh, i'm not sure that we can do that but we are facing now some public sector strikes in this country in this province particularly and in the country um there are a, a lot of arguments on both sides and there's a lot of uh, disagreement about who's right and who's wrong the uh, unions are saying um, you know we haven't had a raise for x number of years the government is saying well we'll you know we're prepared to offer you a, a raise a modest raise but we can't afford any more we're trying to reduce expenditures not increase them the unions are saying hey we're working hard out here and uh, we need to be taken care of there are some people who have suggested that people who work for the public the public sector unions for example ought not be allowed to strike that because they are working for us, in effect, that uh, rather than working for a private corporation, that uh, if they do not want to work for us at what we are willing to pay them in public service, that they should be free to take their, um, uh, take their skills and talents and go elsewhere if they're not happy with the amount of money that's being paid. Other people say, well, if you start doing that, then you sort of, uh, you're heading down that slippery slope of reduced uh, wages, et cetera, et cetera, that many people on the left are concerned about. Uh, some people have suggested just making every government service an essential service will solve the problem, force them through the arbitrator's table, both sides to the arbitrator's tra table, and let it go at that. It doesn't appear at this point that either government or the unions are interested in going the arbitration route. And I would put to either one of you, or both of you gentlemen, perhaps I'll start with you, Bob. Um, do you think that public sector unions should be any different than private sector unions in terms of their right to strike? No, I don't think either of them should have the right to strike for things other than perhaps urgent safety issues or illegal things going on, actual crimes being committed. But to strike for things like job security, which is always the number one issue, which mm -hmm. is, is fairytale land, or wages, which is supposed to be competitive in a marketplace so that we, the people, can benefit from lower prices, this just doesn't apply in a strike. When a, when a group of union people are on strike, what they're really striking against is their fellow worker out there who's willing to do their job for less. That's all it's about. It's about monopoly and maintaining your monopoly and keeping the competition out. So that, to me, unions have always been profoundly anti-labor in the broader sense of the term because unions are the ones that have priced uh, low-wage people out of the marketplace by always advocating things like increased minimum wages. Um, they, they, they basically want closed shops wherever they can get them. Uh, there's nothing really about a union that I would say is pro-labor, let alone pro-customer. But it's hard uh, for low-wage people to survive in our society today. Well, absolutely. Uh, we live in a society where, you know, half our life we, pay, we work for the government, which is, which is what makes a public service or union type of person different from anybody else. He is given his money by fiat, not by earning it on a market or saying that he can make it different. We have no choice whether we want these people to work for us or not. And as far as I'm concerned, if I haven't got a choice, I don't want to even know about that person. Jeff, uh, where's the fly in the ointment in Bob's argument? Well, I guess it, it comes back again to the kind of society that we want to have, and uh, it's, it's uh, sort of coincidental that you would raise this topic this week because uh, I mentioned to you that I'm reading a book right now about uh, Clarence Darrow, uh, 
well-known American lawyer who a century ago was uh, fighting fights about the right to unionize in the United States and uh, uh, was saying that really it was only when uh, when Teddy Roosevelt became president that uh, that uh, uh, that strikes started to become effective that uh, the government sort of stopped sending in the army every time there was a strike and killing a few people and all that kind of stuff but the same arguments existed then that uh, the uh, wealthy entrepreneurs said well you know that uh, we should be able to hire anybody we want and sort of pay them as low as we possibly can and bargain with them individually uh, by doing that because management has all the power and the uh, employees have none of the power basically they can bargain extremely advantageous terms now conditions were a lot grimmer back then certainly the, they talked about how people had to live in company-owned housing. They had to shop at company stores and pay grossly inflated prices for horrible conditions and so on. But the fundamental principle, I think, still applies, and that is that uh, when it comes time to figure out what you're going to get paid, it's a matter of negotiating. In negotiating, the only thing that really matters is power, and that is the person who has it is going to get a better deal than the person who doesn't have it. Yeah, what and what, what has happened in the past is that the only way that labor has found any way or that workers have found any way to stand up to the power of the employer is to get together. And uh, when they get together, then they can say, well, you know, uh, we can hopefully write the power imbalance a little bit at least and say, well, you know, if you don't talk to us at all, if you're going to uh, offer uh, just... Uh, horribly low wages uh, at a time when you're extremely profitable, then we will withdraw our labor, which is a right, you know, that uh, historically people have had. Now, the right that management has had in the past is to bring in replacement workers, and that's been sort of the way that they fight that. But it's a tough game. Negotiating is always a tough game. Uh, but basically, if you hobble one side and say, okay, well, management can be as tough as they want, but labor can't be tough because that's that's too hard on poor old management, poor little management, that, that artificially tilts the table. We're going to pause for a moment. When we come back, we invite you to join our discussion today. 643-1290, star 1290 on the Cantel. This is 1290 CJBK, where we've got talk all day. We're talking this morning about uh, the pending uh, public sector strikes. And my question to both my guests, kind of a general question, and we're not necessarily going to stay there, but should uh, people working for the public, working for you and me, should they uh, have the right to strike or should... And I'm not suggesting that they shouldn't. I'm not suggesting that management should have all the power. But I'm wondering whether people in the public sector, whether we might be better served, all of us, by having some kind of compulsory arbitration, compulsory binding arbitration that uh, required both the union and management to accept the arbitrator's decision. Um, but there are other options out there, too. We're wondering what you think about it. And Bill joins us. Hi, Bill. Good morning, Jim. Yes, sir. Um, I wouldn't necessarily have a... A disagreement with that if you could get a fair arbitrator appointed but if the government appoints all the uh, arbitrators how are you going to get a fair process mm -hmm. well what if let's suppose for the sake of argument that we could do that that uh, we set up some kind of a system where arbitrators were selected and uh, trained and had no allegiance or loyalty to anyone I wouldn't really have a problem with that myself mm -hmm. but uh, I just wanted to point one thing out about this uh, impending strike yes uh, two major issues that are on the table that uh, the press doesn't seem to be talking about are seniority and uh, severance pay. Mm -hmm. And all they're talking about is the raise. And I just wanted to point out that the uh, union has cut their wage demand in half now mm -hmm. yesterday because they're trying to get the uh, employer to negotiate with them. Yeah. So they're, they're trying anyway. Well, but they probably went in there with three times the uh, wage increase that they really expected to get, too. 
Well, well, they're moving anyway. Well, that's, that's, that's good. That's a positive sign. You know, one of my problems with arbitration is that it already presupposes that nobody else is going to be allowed into the marketplace to compete for these jobs. It, it already presupposes that the guy who has his job and isn't happy with it is going to be guaranteed it. You know, the okay. thing is, though, Bob, he, he, with this uh, government, uh, a lot of these positions are skilled positions where you can't just move people in. Like, there's specialized training on the job, and then there's people that need licenses. Well, then, and well, then there's no problem. Then, then all the skilled people would have to say is, well, so long, Charlie, I'm gone. And then what is the government going to do? Well, we can't just wildcat. We have to follow uh, legal uh, things. They like uh, Strikes have to be negotiated. You can't just walk out and say, well, I'm not happy with this. Well, I, think, I, I think Bob's point, Bill, was, though, if these are all skilled positions and so on, why I'm don't you... I'm not saying they all are. I'm well, saying some are. Okay, but the ones that are, why don't they just walk and get other jobs and, they, you know, thumb your nose at the government. Say, you won't pay me what I want. I'll take my skills somewhere else. Well, it's just like anything. We're, we have a uh, oversupply right now, abundancy, like Canada. You know, has a lot of brains which go to other countries, like a lot of doctors have left Canada, yeah. even though they have a strong association in the Ontario Medical Association. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, you know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of skilled labor. There's uh, a big supply right now. Well, that, I'm just that trying again, to say to Bob, though, is then I heard then your argument. about the minimum wage, and I'd like to see him to try to live on that minimum wage. And I think if he had his way, we'd be no more than slaves. I've been living on minimum wage or less for a good decade or two. I haven't had any problem with it, but well, I'm that's single. That's hard to believe because, well, I mean, single. it's not a lot to live on. That's right. But I don't have a problem with it. I can do it. But, you know, when you talk about something being oversupplied, uh, that, to me, is a reason to bring the price down. Because as long as you keep the price up, more people are going to go after that and be skilled in an area where there's an oversupply, and then well, there's going to be even more of them. In nursing, there's a, a shortage right now, but the government doesn't want to give the nurses they have a raise. They just want to hire more nurses. So, I mean, there's, that, that goes against your argument right there. Well, no, that's because the government runs the health care system, which it shouldn't be doing. I don't know why you would think that would run against my argument. Well, because that goes against your supply and demand argument there. They're not well, there is raise, even though they're in demand. They just want to bring in, bring in more people well, without giving the ones they have a raise. So that... Yeah, but the average individual, I think, Bill, if you went and asked, asked the average health care consumer, right now, today, would you rather see the existing nurses get more money or would you rather have more, more nurses in the hospitals? I guarantee you that 99 people out of 100 will say, I want more nurses. But the thing is, though, Jim, it ties in, though. If you're not, not going to give the profession or whatever you want to call it a raise, then you're going to have a drain there. But like, you can bring in new people, but they're not going to stay if the conditions are getting worse and, and they're not... They're not advancing themselves. If they keep going down and losing, then you're going to lose eventually. Well, there's no other place to go if you're working for government. Government's a dead-end job to begin with. I, I don't think there is a supply and demand in nurses in the economic sense that it should be. There's an infinite demand for medical services that are free. That's always going to be the case, and that's part of the problem is that we give our medical service free. But you know what, the pro you know what else, though, Bob, is that you're not addressing is that all these jobs are all service industry. So, I mean, uh, they're not making money, like you're saying, and uh, they're not making money, then the, you're doing a government, well, they're getting doing their the government a favor going on strikes, then they don't have to pay us. <laughs> well, you may be right from, there, Bill. From the government's uh, point of view, that's true. Bill, appreciate the call, sir. Okay. Thanks for Bye. joining us. John's up next. Hi, John. Hi, Jim. How you doing? Fine, thanks. <laughs> Boy, I, can, <laughs> I'm make a, I was going to make a comment, but I'm not going to. Um, oh, I was just out at the ministry office uh, trying to renew my license plate. Yeah. 
And I had a good little chat with the person who was standing behind the counter about this uh, threat of strikes. Mm -hmm. And uh, I found it very interesting because I noticed when I drove in, um, there's all kinds of empty pallets uh, by the front entrance. There's already some cans out there, and they're all gung-ho to go on strike. Mm -hmm. um, Jim, what, what is wrong with our society? Um, these people are not specialized employees, most of them. Um, they're sitting behind counters. They're driving snow plows. Um, you know, they're, they're doing very, very easy jobs. And I think that's been the major problem is that they've had it so easy for such a long time. And um, now it comes to, um, you know, they want to demand the fact that they need a raise when they haven't had one in six or seven years, mm -hmm. when meanwhile the rest of us haven't had a raise either. Yeah. So I'd really like to know what makes them so much different than uh, the rest of us besides the fact that they work for us. Mm -hmm. And they work for themselves, but they don't realize it. And um, all they care about is, is, is the money that they take home at the end of the week. And it's, uh, it's very frustrating. And you know what? I really couldn't care less if they went on strike. Um, I found out from uh, uh, specifically the ministry office um, that that office is the only one that's going to be closed. The rest of them will still be open because they're franchises. Yep. And they're run by independent operators. Mm -hmm. And, you know, <laughs> you may not get much better service from an independent operator, but at least that independent operator um, has a, a certain degree more of caring as to, uh, as to your situation or um, is a little bit more understanding. Um, it seems that whenever ever I deal with anybody from the government, it's, you know, I'll put you on hold for half an hour, 45 minutes, or as long as I have to, um, and not worry about it, and then come back and, uh, you know, expect me not to be uh, annoyed or frustrated that I've been put on hold for such a long time. And, you know, it just seems that the workers that work there have this attitude that, uh, um, you know, that, you know, you have to come back to me. So you just put up with the, with the, 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 the circumstances that I'm going to give you. And, well, uh, surely they're not all like that, though, John. There's, there's some good people working in government. I mean, there's some, there's some deadheads everywhere and some good people everywhere. Well, yeah, yeah, but the problem is, is that they can't get rid of the deadheads. Um, and even if there are good people there, they're lost in a really bad system. So even if they do a good job, it doesn't matter. And, and exactly, Bob. You know what? If they do a really good job, then they get, uh, they get hacked from their fellow employees that, hey, you're doing too good of a job. You know, they're making the rest of us look bad. But certainly and, the kind of myths that you're talking about are the ones that the government is, is counting on people to believe. They're counting myths? on people to believe that uh, the rest of us haven't had a raise in the last seven years. Well, the fact is that most people have had raises in the last seven years. We've had a record, a record economy for the last three years. So you look at uh, growth in most sectors, it's been immense growth, although most of it's concentrated in the top. Certainly the government gave themselves a big raise in the but last Jeff, couple of years. They gave all the senior civil servants big raises. That's real, true. Real family income in terms of, of take-home uh, on constant dollars. And, Bob, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe we're actually lower today than we were in the, in the early 80s, aren't we? No. We're well, a lot our, our wealth is much higher per capita in Canada today than we were in the early well, 80s. I'm talking about take-home, though. The taxes, the taxes have skyrocketed since the early well, 80s. Well, they certainly haven't skyrocketed in the last decade. But as far as where the wealth has gone, it's the same old thing we keep hearing about, that most of the wealth is concentrated amongst the wealthy. They've had huge increases, whereas the people at the bottom end haven't had increases. So if you're in that bottom end, I could understand why you'd really resent civil servants saying, we'd like a raise. But the thing that frustrates me is that it's the usual divide and conquer. We're all sitting there at the bottom end saying things aren't so great. Uh, why should you get something if I'm not getting something? But nobody looks at the other guys, the, the management that. staff, for instance, at, at government, and they say we was a year or two ago that uh, they did the big pay 
radio thing on the uh, pensions where Mike Harris, when he retires, will be a millionaire. He's mm -hmm. going to get that money from them. Nobody is troubled by any of that, that somehow they deserve all of that. But when it comes time to me and my neighbor discussing whether one of us should get a raise one day, each of us are at each other's throats saying, you shouldn't get a raise because I didn't get a raise. I, and I as long as we keep you, thinking like that, Jeff, rich are going to keep getting richer and the poor well, are going to keep getting poorer. I could find you five poor people right now that would be happy to take any government service job at half the price. Well, sure, that's the economy we've created. We've created desperation well, amongst poor people. Well, we've had massive wealth in our country. That's Jeff, true. you don't get it. This would be a big improvement in their life. It would be a big yeah. improvement. It's not that oh, they sure. would be held down. This would be a big step up. Yeah, that's what I say. You're saying. They're desperate enough to take a job where they're not going to get a raise. And when should civil servants get a raise? Should they get a raise every decade, every where, where two decades? Where is this decades? logical? And this doesn't make sense. No, I'm telling you're you saying here. that you can find somebody to work for less than somebody who's got a job. That's always true. We've got record levels of unemployment. Yeah, but more than but more than what they're getting now. So you're saying you'd rather see them even at half of what they are so that these other people can be paid three times what they're worth. But again, what you're saying is that we have to pit the middle class against the lower class and keep the lower class as a specter in the background saying, middle class, you better not ever ask no for a raise. Because if you do, we've got all kinds of unemployed term. people who would be very glad to come in and take your job because we've created an economy where most of the wealth generation goes to wealthy people. It isn't spread out amongst the economy. And well, that's true. As long as we've got a system like that, well, we're going to resent each other's little time. Wealth goes to the people who create it. The only person that does redistribution of wealth or the only entity that can do it is government. Well, not and, in my experience. I've never heard of wealth going to people who create it. John, I have to leave it there, but I appreciate your call, sir. Jim, Jim do you mind if I interject for a second? No, last word to you. Um, the last word to me is uh, I think that people, when they listen to Leah Kassman on the radio, when she gives these little sound bites and when she talks about these things, I think people are getting really tired of it, and I think it's going to go in the long run against the, the, those people that she's representing. Yeah, thanks for the call today. Okay. Bye-bye. I did hear a comment today talking about some of the, the guards that didn't go to work, and uh, the comment was made that it was illegal for them to phone in sick unless they are really sick. And she made some comment about, well, you know, it's, you, you can get sick. And when I was working once, we had a shepherd's pie, and we all got sick and couldn't go to work and so on. Man, I hear something. I'm just speaking only for myself. I heard that today, and I thought, what a, what a load of crap. I mean, I was offended by that. I think we know very well that many of these guards are not sick. It's a job action. It's an illegal job action. Fine, they're willing to take the responsibility, I suppose, for that. But I, I think when the, when the leaders of the unions kind of lie so blatantly to our faces, I don't think they're helping themselves very much at all. No, and in fact, I think that uh, right now, the whole idea of a, of a strike by the OPSU might be the best thing that could happen for Mike Harris leading into an election. Well, there's but, no but question. But they have to lie, Jim. So. They have no choice but to lie. They're after something that's so totally unjust you can't tell the truth and expect to get something like that. <laughs> Let's go to the phone. Class should not get raises, Let's, ever. Let's go to Never. the phones where Lewis is waiting. Hi, Lewis. Good morning, Jim. How are you? Fine. Thank you for your patience. A um, couple of things. I uh, just picked up on the, the John comment. I, I've always felt to understand why uh, John and Bob there think that because some people are at the bottom, we all must have this race to the bottom. Jeff and Bob. I can never understand that. Mm -hmm. Why we all it's not a race, race to the bottom. bottom. I was pointing out how five people could raise themselves up from the bottom. No, excuse me, sir. Any minimum wage job is not pulling themselves up from the bottom. It's just destroying those of us who are trying to make a decent living and feeding so our families. So you're telling me OPSU is all working at minimum wage? No, sir. I'm telling you OPSU is feeding their families and having a home. There's nothing wrong with that. Capitalism, well, there is when, when capitalism in itself is the feeding frenzy. And that's what you don't understand. Work. No, no, capitalism, capitalism is a production frenzy. I, I doubt it. Uh, socialism is the feeding frenzy. I'll tell you something. Socialism. I'll tell you something. Capitalists even, even violate, violate the laws of Adam Smith, the men that started up because 
Adam Smith, when he talked about supply and demand, was in a very small community where people look after each other. I'll, I'll, I'll no, he's talking about the globe. The six percent of this society don't look after them, anybody but themselves. And that's the problem here. Those of us are just fighting against each other. The middle class and the lower class are fighting against each other while the rich get richer. We should all be fighting for the same goal. Higher wages, higher production. Let me tell you, sir, I've had the opportunity to go work in Mozambique in South Africa. And let me tell you, sir, Coca-Cola and Siemens and uh, all these big companies, Northern Telecom, they don't treat their workers with dignity and respect back there. They only do it in Canada and the States because of strong unions. You go work there where it's, where it's common where people lose an eye a week and, they, and the employer thinks, oh, okay, we'll just replace them with somebody else. Well, that was, I've, I've you know, there, see, sir. Let well, me tell you. wait a minute. I, I started off this program saying that the two areas I think that people should be able to strike on is where there's urgent safety issues and on criminal matters. No, sir. It doesn't matter. How about making 50 cents a day and you can't feed your children? Well, then you can't feed your children. Oh, and, you can't. Oh, that's okay, well, right. But, but, but wait a minute. Wait a minute. We're not talking about whether a person should make how much. We're talking about the system we should live in. And should should the consumer, people who pay the prices of the goods, have a right to choose how much they want to pay or whether they want the service or not? But if there's decent wages, let me ask you something. Why the hell then doesn't it, pardon the French here, why the hell then doesn't don't, don't people brag about the brag about the living conditions in Mississippi or uh, or the southern states, but yeah, New York or or New Jersey, where there's strong unions, people have a ten times higher standard of living. Why is it in Alabama the standard of living is six times lower than where there's highly industrializing unionized places in New Jersey? Well, I think you know it's why, more. Sir? I think it's well, why, more to do with the industrialization. You know, I, no, it has to do with unionism, where people stand together and people fight for living conditions, not only for themselves, for the lucky, the lowers, the lower ones. The unlucky ones in society, sir. I'll tell you, we got to stop fighting ourselves from a race to the bottom and start fighting the corporation. Well, well, sir, so 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 fact. you're saying as a union, as a union worker or a representative, that you got to fight your employer? Yes, definitely, because our employer has got no, no morality. I've seen you know what? If I was your employer, I'd let you go immediately. Let me I, tell you, you wouldn't you be working for me. Let me tell you something. My employees <laughs> have to help me, not not be my enemy. Me, they have me, to share my goals. Let me tell you something. I work for a big corporation. It doesn't matter which one I work for. I work for a big corporation, and I get treated with respect and dignity because of my union. I I went and worked for that corporation in Mozambique. The workers there. No respect. Can I tell it's you something? Home. I worked for Northern Telecom before, sir, and sir. I was treated with respect by management and treated like an animal by the union. So what's your point? Treated with respect without a union, let me tell you. Those are the facts. What else? We wouldn't have massive poverty in those countries where there is no strong unions. We wouldn't have massive poverty in the southern states where there's right-to-work states. We wouldn't have massive poverty in, in, uh, in actual working families. Where, where Nike will All right, Lewis, I, I, I think you've made your point today. I think, I think you've made your point, and people have had a chance to hear what you have to say. I appreciate your call, sir. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. And Rose has also been waiting very patiently. Hi, Rose. Hi. Um, really interesting comments, and um, I hope I can be as articulate as John and uh, Lewis. I think um, what I'd like to say about the, uh, the last caller is that he has a point... Um, because I think where the change is actually happening is to the people that actually need the change, and the people that don't want the change are the ones that we have to fight against. So that's a fine line that you're drawing when he is saying he have to fight the employer, because obviously that's what the union is doing for the members. Yeah, but the uh, employer is you and me. We're the employer. 
Not if you're part of the union. Well, you're not an employer anymore. You're an employee, and you have to follow what the union actually um, they have like a code of ethics that yeah. you have to follow. Yeah, but my, and if my, you don't agree with mm -hmm. the code of ethics, that's too bad. If you're part of a union, that's basically how you have to behave. You have to basically stand together behind the union. But you know what the argument is for that? The argument is that if the union is successful and wins benefits, everybody benefits from that, so everybody should support the union. Okay, but they're going to benefit, and I think this is, this is part of the discussion, it's part of my point. And I'm not saying that I totally agree with um, all sides of the discussion because it's very complicated, very complex, but I can see um, everybody's argument to a certain degree. If you actually want the change, if you feel like you're being the underdog, then you actually have to pursue a certain avenue. That's what the unions are doing. Sometimes they actually maybe go too far and you have to have more dialogue, mm -hmm. but I think in the alterum, that's what they're standing up for. Uh, otherwise, back with uh, Norma Ray, we, you know, it would just never have been changed. Let's suppose, just for the sake of discussion, and I'm certainly no expert on this, but let's suppose for the sake of discussion that the unions that are about to strike in Ontario didn't strike, just kept on working. Um, what's so terrible about their jobs today? Well, I don't think the jobs are basically that terrible because you can take any job and say that a job is terrible considering your I guess no but the point, point, the point I'm trying attitude. to make is there's a there's a big fight here about this and that and the other thing and we want this and we want that and we want something else I'm, I'm just asking that you know up until strike day everybody's relatively happy they're making what they think is a reasonable wage or they would have found a job somewhere else I'm just curious to know why all of a sudden this job that they've done for such a long period of time is such a stinky, awful, horrible job, and you got to pay more money and won't do it. That's what I'm saying because somebody is actually considering that there needs to be a change, and whoever wants to make that change is going to make the most noise. Yeah. That happens in every every facet. Mm -hmm. So either you actually go along with it, you consider it, or you actually have a dialogue. And I think that's where it helps to have a fair union, and I think where John had discussed um, actually getting people in that, or, or I think you mentioned it, Jim, as well, um, people that actually don't have any bias towards one or the other yes. would, would actually mediate and come out with a, a, a fair proposal. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you're, you're always going to have the person that actually needs the change, you know, they're going to they're gonna try to make the change. Yeah. Well, what's but, unfair about uh, people who are unemployed right now or working at minimum wage wanting to get in on a government job, and why shouldn't they be allowed to compete with people who are obviously unhappy with their place of work? Well, in fact, I have been on both sides of the fence. I did work in government positions, and actually now I'm working in the uh, actual public sector. And, uh, uh, so do you think I'm it's unfair? I'm glad you brought that up, because um, as a servant, I think that what they tend to forget is that you're not really produce well you are producing a service but your your pay is actually coming from everybody else that's paying into the income tax system you know and so really trying to negotiate a higher level than the people that are on minimum wage i don't see that as being fair mm -hmm. because the people that are on minimum wage where are they getting their pay from they're getting their pay that is from somebody that actually took the risk to create a job and hire people whereas with the government they've got these social programs out that is for a service, but they're actually getting their funding from tax dollars. You know, so how how they can justify negotiating to a higher rate of pay? I don't, I don't, I don't know. 
Thanks for your call today, Rose. Okay, then. It's good Thanks. to hear from you. We do have to pause for a moment. We'll be back. There's lots more this morning on Left, Right, and Center with Bob Metz and Jeff Schlemmer here on 1290 CJBK. It's Left, Right, and Center with Jeff Schlemmer and Bob Metz. Uh, Bob, you made a comment a few minutes ago that you didn't see arbitration as being necessarily a, a beneficial situation either because it wasn't an open, open labor market. Jeff, do you, would you accept arbitration, compulsory binding arbitration, by an unbiased third party as a reasonable solution to union, uh, union management disagreements? Oh, generally, and so would unions. The people who generally will not agree to binding arbitration are management. And uh, in the case of OPSU, that's what you'll find, that there's no way in the world that the government would, would agree to a binding arbitration even though um, the first thing they did when they when they took office was fired most of the uh, uh, vice chairs of the labor board and why is that, with their own nominees. Why did they replace them? No, why would the government be against binding arbitration? I don't think that they would, would perceive that they can do as well there as they can in the, um, in the form of public opinion. Because I think that there are a lot of people out there who do resent the civil servants. There is a, this... Um, you don't think it has anything to do with the fact that maybe there's other people out in the marketplace that the government would like to hire perhaps at a lower price for a greater efficiency? Well, I don't think even this government seriously suggests we should go back to that system where everybody negotiates individually for their, for their wage. Everybody recognizes that that, that idea died in the, uh, in the 1800s uh, and that the reality now is that, uh, that employees recognize that by banding together they have more collective economic clout at the bargaining table and that's not yeah, to say they, they have overwhelming they, clout they, they've they actually got still far less the it's still got far less than the management has and we've seen that here that you know you talk about uh, why would they go on strike for a couple of percent of pay and uh, you know Jim when you were talking about how well why are their jobs suddenly terrible jobs today when they were fine yesterday well that's not what a strike is about. A strike is a, a bargaining tactic. It's a tactic that you use in the course of ongoing negotiations that have been going on virtually constantly for the last several years. In the course of all the negotiations to date, uh, labor has lost. Like They have not gotten any raises for their people. They, uh, they have had substantial layoffs. Uh, labor has been losing this battle throughout. And even the threat of a strike or even the fact of a strike hasn't really changed that very but much. Are we talking about government labor or just yeah. labor in general? Government, no, government, government. Well, I don't know whether you can say they've lost because the Canadian people have indicated we're tired of paying the, the present rate of taxes. We've been putting pressure on our governments to, uh, to reduce our taxes, to reduce spending. And uh, one of the larger components in government spending is labor costs. So if we, the taxpayers, are saying we want our taxes lowered, uh, you know, governments, are, at least not all of them, but some of them are saying, well, okay, here's one area where we can, we can reduce our spending. Well, that, that's fine that, that, you know, you talk about how government may be the representative of the people at the bargaining table and that the people are saying we want to pay less, and that's fine, that's a... That's a management position, but I'm saying in terms of the rough and tumble of, uh, of the bargaining, uh, Labour has not taken any gains away from the table. They've in fact had substantial losses. But there haven't the been any gains to take away. The government hasn't oh, well. gained anything either. Uh, well, the government has gained all kinds of things. They've, like this government wanted to engage in a lot of privatization. They've, mm -hmm. they've achieved that wherever they wanted to, as, they, as they're free to. Again, the only tool at the end of the day that Labour has to say, please don't privatize all this stuff or please don't roll back this, that, or the other thing. And this isn't the first government that's done it, by I means the social contract with the NDP mm -hmm. is another big example. The only tool that uh, that labor has is to say uh, we'll go on strike and hope that go, uh, that the public support us. And if they don't, we'll go off strike, which is just what's happened at the Wheels Inn down in Chatham. Mm -hmm. you know, this, this tool that Jeff's referring to, call a strike, is to me the philosophy of when persuasion fails, use force, and that's all it is. All right, let's which management would never do. Let's go back to the phones <laughs> where Debbie's waiting. Hi, Debbie. Hi, thanks to y'all for this uh, conversation today. I, I thank you for it because I think it brings it right down to where we live. Mm -hmm. um, I think there'll always be that tension between labor and management and there'll always be that 
delicate balance that we have to find between capitalism and socialism, and I think it's good that both sides are keeping an eye on each other. <laughs> but um, I, I have a question, and I, I'd like your guests to discuss and debate this. I have heard, apparently, that under the demand of job security, OPSU is saying that they would like that if there's a work slowdown, they cannot be laid off. Is that correct? I have no idea. I don't know either. Okay, I'd, I'd heard that that was one of their demands, that if there's a work slowdown, that, that job security means they can't be laid off. Now, my husband works in the private sector, and I've seen years where he's been laid off for four and five months a time. And I wondered if your guests would debate whether or not in the public sector, should they be guaranteed work? Should they be guaranteed uh, continuing uh, pay if there's no work there? Are they it, it seems to me that job security in a time when there's plenty of work is a non-issue. The only, the only time job security would be a political issue is when there is no work well, to do. My question, like would, my question would be, though, in the public sector, when is there no work to do? There's all, almost by definition, there's always work to do Well, in the they make sector. their own work. I mean, most of what the public sector does is regulate the private sector, which slows up everything. I think 90% of the public sector should be wiped out overnight if we could. Well, you know? When you talk about a work slowdown, I assume you're talking about if there was less work to be done as opposed to a, a work slowdown, which, which in labor terms means everybody starts working more slowly to try and prove a point or something. No, no, they meant that if there's just not the work there, oh. that, that they should be retained, they should be at full wage. I've never heard anybody suggest oh, that. And, and again, I, I, in spite of what Bob says, I can't imagine that the workload is going to reduce significantly for people in the public sector because they're not subject to the same kinds of economic uh, ebb and flow as well, the private sector is. And every day there's new laws being made that have to be administered, new regulations and controls and and things by, you know that, that basically take chip away at our freedom each day. And that's what but, a lot of these people are mostly employed there has been a substantial downsizing at. in the public service in the last several years, and that's probably going to continue, that uh, there a lot of things that the government hasn't privatized that they had announced they were going to back at the start of the common sense revolution. So naturally the unions would say we'd rather you not do that. Our members would rather you continue to employ us, but they really have no power to do that. Uh, government can get rid of any of them any old time they want. But I think to their credit, to the union's credit, they've also said, at least from what I've seen, that they are they recognize that, that uh, there are going to be continuing job losses and, and consolidation of jobs and so on. What they've asked the government to do is allow it to happen through attrition. So I think we have to give the union some credit there, that they've recognized that they're not going to be able to maintain the, 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 the job levels that are there today. What they want, what they're trying to get the government to do is to, is to avoid laying people off or firing people. Well, they're just taking what they can get while they can get it because uh, they know they won't even be able to get that soon. Maybe so. Debbie, the last word to you. Thanks for the discussion today. It's been great. great. Keep, it, keep it going. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks for the call. Bye-bye. Mike joins us next. Hello, Mike. Uh, yeah, uh, just a couple of comments today, gentlemen. Uh, I think it was Jeff who has mentioned uh, several times that it's kind of an archaic or a draconian idea that uh, management uh, negotiate with each employee independent of the other ones. Is that correct? Oh, yeah, that's certainly the case. Okay, uh, Okay. so a couple of comments would be like uh, the employees still have a union, and the union would act sort of like a, an opposition party, whereas uh, they're management for the employees. So they want to make sure of uh, policies and safe working conditions and so on and so forth. But yet the professional sports, NFL, NBA, NHL, all have their employees as a member of union. But yet when it comes to time for their contract, they all negotiate independently with each other, with the employer, such as the team. So perhaps uh, the, the company, um, especially civil servants, uh, government jobs, maybe they uh, do that. They have a union with, for the members to make sure of safe conditions, this, that, and the other thing. But yet, when it comes time for raises and things, then maybe they should uh, go independently. That way, 
you can weed out the ones who aren't doing their job. Say, well, based on a performance and evaluation, and if they don't like the evaluation, they go to their union, and they can all sit down and say, well, yeah, we agree on the evaluation. Maybe you get marked low, so you don't get a high raise like your, your uh, co-worker in the, in the cubicle next to you. Yeah, Mike, your, your example of the NHL Players Union is an interesting one because what that union's main function is to, is to set minimums. They set minimums to standards and minimum salaries. So every player, uh, no matter who you are in the NHL, there, there's a bottom below which you cannot be signed. You have to get a minimum amount. Right. And, like, uh, and I'm not saying take it word for it. It's just no, no, no. But just, but, 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 uh, it, it was they a, still have a union, but yet yeah, they end Exactly. It was you know a good I mean? example because they protect everybody below sinking past a certain point, but above that you get paid depending on your what your market value is. Now, I don't know. And how well you work, but I, I, exactly. all I'm saying is that there is an example where people do yet... Um, uh, get paid upon independently. They don't yeah. all get paid the same. Yeah, no, it's a good point. Although, again, I don't know if management would, would totally like that. One of the things that's a, that's a problem, and I think is, a, again, one of those things that are held against unions is the, the idea that unions uh, protect bad employees, that, the, that their purpose there is to make sure that bad employees continue to be employed. That hasn't been my experience in, in labor, because the people that I've been involved with, uh, the, the labor people are as embarrassed by bad employees as anybody else is, although I'm sure it's happened from right, time but, to time. But, but with government employees, then it would all become a matter of record, and we, the people, can see what the evaluations might be, because, you know, salaries are announced, and, hey, we're paying these people, we should see. Well, well you can find out what any civil service salary is. When uh, the, their, their, their performances may be at a, at, a, at a two, where someone else is at a four. But right now, you can find out what any civil service employee... Uh, gets paid if you want to. Now, if, yeah, if you, you have a bad experience with the receptionist you and you want to go find it... But you can't find out what they're worth. You can find exactly. out what they're paid. If there was the same type of test for people doing the same type of job, I mean, people who work at Walmart or Kmart, uh, where they aren't union, they all have an evaluation done by their manager. If they don't agree with that, then they can sit down with the manager above that as three of them and, and uh, arbitrate, well, maybe we can negotiate this or that, and then their raise is based upon how, how high they score. You know, you know but, but I, don't, I, I don't see any difference, though, when, when you talk about uh, the fact or the idea that uh, civil servants work for us, the people, I would argue that Walmart employees do as well, that they serve us, and if they do a bad job, Walmart's gone in the same way. Well, but no, I don't think really. I can walk into Walmart, and if I have a bad experience with a, a greeter or somebody, I can't go to management and say, what are you paying that employee? Oh, sure uh, they're not worth that. Oh, they sure should be can. paid way less than that. Oh, really? Sure well, that be a fun it's way like to spend a Saturday afternoon. And say they're doing a great job, and they get rewarded for that. No, but again, if you have a bad experience, can you walk in and say, what are you paying this employee? And they'll tell you, and you can negotiate well, no. with them and say, you should pay, pay them half of that or whatever. Uh, no, but if you, did tell them, if you did tell them they were not a, an effective employee, that might ultimately impact this is a, this is a totally everybody has personnel file management and private this sector. is a totally moot issue what a what a government employee is worth there's no way to determine that until there's a marketplace well, how do we know people, people who are hired or even hired uh, based on their qualifications well, just because someone liked them right we don't even know that but the point is the only way to to determine someone's worth objectively in a marketplace is to allow other people to compete for their job and not have a closed shop within a closed shop you, you can't it's a bit you can't it. compete for their job Hmm? You can go down and put an application in tomorrow and compete for their job. If, they, if you have the qualifications, they may hire you, they may not. Not well, close. if there's They're an opening, yeah, by, uh, but not when there's a strike on or when people go on strike and expect their, to get their job back because of set dissatisfaction with something like wages or, or job security or something like that. Well, that's right. Um, that's a whole other issue, and those are the issues that people go on strike for. It's, I always find it funny that people, you know, point out things that are irrelevant to the particulars of a strike to justify the right to strike. They start screaming about the poor. They start screaming about minimum wage. They start screaming about stuff that has nothing to do with what I would consider the elite class in this country right. who are paid more than the average person. See, I believe in yeah. right so that's strike. management. 
I believe in no, the right that's to strike. The union. But I don't think unions are paid more than management. But They're one thing that really strikes me, though, Bob, and what you're saying is sector, that Jeff. I would have thought as a civil libertarian unions. that you would defend to the death the right of somebody to, to talk to your fellow workers, to say whatever you want to them, freedom of association, yeah. freedom of speech. There's no freedom of association in a union. A union is as close to what a union is. Freedom is a bunch of people associating. And there have been all kinds of laws which have outlawed that. Freedom means the right had to say yes or no to to the association. When you join a company with a union, you have to join the union. No, and even comes in because most people want it. If it, most people don't uh, want it, it goes out. That's not been my experience. I've seen well, that's what the labor code says. Well, that's what the labor code says, but the process proves differently. Okay, we're going to leave it there, Michael. Thank right, you for your call, you. sir. Appreciate Bye -bye. it. And uh, who's uh, Paul has been waiting the longest. Hello, Paul. Hi. Yes, sir. Um, I have just a comment. Your your caller there earlier, or your your guest, um, said that you could hire. You know, if you open it up, you would hire someone for less money, and they would maybe do a better job or whatever, that kind of thing. Yeah. What's to say a year later those same people are not on strike again because now they're saying, hey, I want more money because I'm working hard. Well, because the system that was presupposed is that we have an open system. If they got in that way, anybody else can get in that way too. We're not suggesting we hire a person off the market and then unionize it again. That's not That wasn't my suggestion. Well, the, the union's never going to go away. I'm not a union person, and I think I have some major qualms with the union, but I'm just saying... If well, it won't go away under its own. Down and you hired someone, a year later, everybody wants more money all the time. Like, yeah, but the proper, way, the proper way to make more money is to become more productive and offer more to the community in exchange for the money you're getting. That means not being in the bureaucratic sense. You've got to create something that the public wants or be part but of as, that creation. As long as you said, you said earlier that they're stuck in a system. That, well, as far as the unions go, they're stuck in a bad system. And, you know, the, the thing. By the way, the thing that creates wealth in a country and makes it possible for everybody to make a living working in a factory is not unions; it's capital. That's what the word capitalism is all about. And if you look around the world, you know, people are always talking about, well, you know, we could help the third world countries by sending them know-how and education and stuff like that. None of that works there because they don't have the capital because they have governments that believe capital should be redistribute, redistributed in, in, in all sorts of wild socialist schemes. You have to allow wealth to accumulate in dramatic amounts in the hands of certain people who know how to handle it. And those are the people who will create the jobs and make it possible for a low-skilled person to right. make those, a lot of those, money. The government will I mean, never sometimes be a I think I'm naive. Holy cow. The government well, will that's never the be way a it works, Jeff. <laughs> that, that is absolutely the way it works. <laughs> no, it does not. Uh, well, anyway. well, show me where it's different. Show me where a country well, has no capital, has high wages. I don't want to change Wealth was not sort of innate. It wasn't found by a person one day. It was created by work. A lot of people did a lot of work to create wealth, which is used by other people to make more wealth. It all came from the sweat of somebody's brow in the first place. And that's what well, continues no, no, to no, generate no, no, it. No, no, no. Wealth, not, not wealth. Just existence comes from work. You could work your butt off all day long and not create an ounce of wealth. But I like the wealth idea you talked about, about when you create a lot more than what you need for yourself that you have something to trade. Again, I'm, ha I'm happy to debate economics with you, but on the issue of the unions, it occurs, to me, it occurs <laughs> to me after the fact that you talked about how it would be better if we could negotiate individually with employees and we get lower cost products. And I'm thinking about Bell, for instance, where you've got an operator making $25,000 a year, and if we negotiated with each one, we might get them down to $20,000 and save $5,000, for instance. What I'd really like to do, though, is, is go after the president of the company, uh, Jean de Grandpre, who made $20 million last year, and try and get him down to only a couple of mil. Well, you know so how you do that? Squeak by on you know that Save eighteen million dollars on that one fellow well, alone. You know how you do that? You you go to another telephone company, and that'll bring his wages down at some point in the future. That's not working. But got to hold it there, guys. And uh, Paul, I have to leave it. But I thank okay. you for your call, sir. We Thanks. will be right back to wrap up this edition of Left, Right, and Center. Each one of you, uh, I ask you, Jeffrey, uh, do you think?
Uh, and you got to put your thinking cap on here. Do you think there is public support here for a widespread public sector strike right now? What are you hearing on the street? Uh, I don't know that there is, and I'm sure that Leah Castleman is as, as sensitive to that as anybody else is. Uh, I think it's a great wild card, and it will depend how it plays out. Uh, but I, I was surprised to find that in the uh, teacher strike a year or two ago, there was some polling that came out uh, a few months after that that said the public actually were pretty on board, even though we all thought they weren't, including the union. Uh, but I think it's a huge wild card right now. I pers uh, personally, I've never seen public support, quote, for, for any kind of public service strike. I think a strike like this at a time like this is just going to ensure that a guy like Mike Harris gets right back in the office. I tend to think you're probably right, and I wonder, I, I really do wonder at the, uh, at the union strategy. I don't understand why they would necessarily pick this time to do it, unless they think that they can make enough noise and draw enough attention, negative attention to Harris, that they'll make the difference in the election. But I, I like you, Bob, I think that they've, uh, I think they've made a strategic blunder here. And, uh, and let's hope they continue to do so. Well, <laughs> those people who are concerned about it, I'm sure we'll share that with you. Gentlemen, well, thank we'll you. Well, make an interesting election anyway. Yeah, thank you. It's always a pleasure. And it's been you. a pleasure again today. Tomorrow on the program, we're going to make a, meet a local author who believes so much in, uh, in his personal philosophy of life. He's written a book about it. We're going to find out about the book and what it takes to do that, to muster that kind of uh, gumption to get up and do it. We're also going to talk with Dr. Brock Rondo about TMJ, which is a jaw disorder that we're told is affecting more and more Canadians. It's stress-related in many cases, and it may be bothering you, too. Peter Mancini will be here to talk about workers' compensation, some of the changes there, and how you can make sure you get your fair share of what's coming to you. Plus, we'll have uh, all the other things we do in the program. We'll have lots of open phones and the stories from the headlines, all of it, as we bring you every day here on 1290 CJBK's Talk of the Town. For Jeff and for Bob and for Ryan and for Kathleen, it's Jim saying please stay tuned for Ask the Experts with uh, Rob and Chris from Financial Strategies Group. Take care of each other. Mind how you go, and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye.